0: Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you
2: sound so good.
0: To talk money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And good morning. It is Friday morning, and you are listening to Talk Money. And I am Jim Shoemaker, and we've got a program jam packed with information just for you. I have Jason Harrington and Michael Powell with me this morning. We're going to talk about What did you? Or what are you doing? Number one, Michael's going to got, going to help me go through this process. What are you doing with your tax return or tax refund that you receive or receiving because you did your own tax return? Or we'll find out how many people actually did not do. A tax return. Maybe you're one of those people that I'm going to be talking to. Then, how many people actually don't? Or you know, how many people don't do tax returns in the United States? Now, I mean, they should. These are people that should do that. There's a number out there. Fifteen percent. Uh, well, I don't know. That's guess. that's close. That's probably he says fifteen percent. Actually, that wouldn't quite be fit. Seven million tax seven million people that should be doing tax pay, you know tax returns are not. I'm looking for them because I'm doing mine. And I, you know, I'm not getting a refund this year for some reason. But this is 7 million taxpayers who are required to fill out a tax return but fail to do so each year, according to Forbes magazine. So, you know, a lot of people do that. But we're really not talking about those folks. We're talking about that if you found your tax return and you're getting a refund, Michael Powell's going to help us go through with some of the things that you should do. If you got your refund, what should you do with it? or maybe how you should be planning so that you're not loaning money to the United States government interest-free. So that's going to be a topic Michael's going to help us with. Jason Harrington's going to help us to know how to work with an advisor. And that is a question, a concern that so many people have, not only from the advisor perspective, but from the client perspective. How do you work together? Uh, how is there a partnership form? What's the trust relationship? All of those things are critical to what we're going to be talking about. But i got a couple of things to cover with you. First of all, I, I was talking to someone recently, and... And they they told me about what a student, and Jason's going to help us a little bit with what students and recent graduates, because Jason's in charge of our growth development with some of our young people. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts that this person said, 69% of students, that is recent graduates, prefer a stable job without passion over a job with lots of passion but no security. That kind of shocked me, but I I think that's one of those things we're going to, you know, kind of find out what really makes the job <laughs> passionate and yet at the same time makes you want to be passionate about your job but at the same time uh, you know, stable. So we'll find out more about that too. Lots of people are paying taxes as we've talked about that this year. The government is projected to collect tax receipts equal to 18.3% of the gross uh, gross domestic product, the GDP. And that's during this fiscal year of 2016. It's higher than any fiscal year since 2001. So if we're going to be paying taxes, and you're going to know that you might possibly get a refund... I'm going to find out how that I should spend the refund, what I should do with the refund, or more important than anything else, how to avoid loaning money to the government. That's Michael Powell. When we come back, he's going to help us get into that subject in a deep, deep, deep dive, and we'll know more. So stay with us. We'll be back with Michael Powell when we uh, join us again with Talk Money here on KWAM 990.
0: Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk money. will return right after this.
3: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. For. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at Parish at shoemakerfinancial.com.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, podcasts of the talk- Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes Store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money.
2: Well, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You are listening to Talk Money. I have a guest today with me, Michael Powell. He's one of our advisors in the office and he helps young people know what to do with their tax refunds. And it's kind of one of those questions that he gets a lot in his practice because it's, um, it's how we file taxes. It's the whole process. And going through that, you know, do you file your taxes? Do you have someone to file your taxes? Do you have a professional to file your taxes? Do you use the computer? And it doesn't really make a lot of difference what you do. I mean, there's a lot of statistics out there that exactly, you know, 43% Michael filed from their home. And so the reality is people are filing taxes. I said earlier seven many years People didn't. But here's the thought for you 90% of American taxpayers pour more in payroll taxes, that's Medicare, Social Security, unemployment benefits, than they pay in their federal income tax. And that's the Peterson Foundation that has given us that statistic. And the reality is, how do you know what to do with your refund? That's the question. Michael Powell, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, thanks for. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, Michael, let me ask you this. This is critical because so many times people, I can remember, I hated to get a tax refund. I mean, if you get a $2,500, 5000 whatever you're getting back, I felt like oh, I've just wasted the use of that money because I would look at it and i think, well, they've had this money for a year, so maybe right. I'll get a little refund and a tax, you know, that would be nice, a little tax refund and interest on what I had loaned the government. But it didn't happen.
4: No, usually it doesn't. And uh, some people think of it as this bonus at the end of the, or the beginning of the year, like, "Hey, it's a great start." But realistically, you should have had that money the whole time.
2: Well, that's what I want to ask you. How does the conversation, when you're talking with your clients about filing their taxes, how does that conversation go? What do you, how do you help them understand the importance sometimes of not getting a tax refund?
4: Well, first off, whenever we do talk about filing taxes, there's usually two different conversations you have. It's either the one that's really excite, real big excitement about it, saying, hey, I'm expecting X for this year for my refund, and I'm, I got a lot of plans with it. Or you got the other person that are not too fond of filing taxes, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of process to do that. So uh, people don't like doing it because they could end up owing, and they just dread the fact that they do owe.
2: Well, you're exactly right. The, most of the time people think about that. And I was on the phone yesterday because now I know I know everybody's thinking, well, hey, Jim, this is May the 6th. You know, yesterday was Cinco de Mayo. And the bottom bottom line is, um, you know, I've already done this, but you probably haven't gotten your refund back. Or if you have, you've done what most people do. You put it in a checking account and you're waiting to figure out a way to spend it. And uh, we want to try to talk to you about not doing that. Uh, being more, more of a strategic, I guess, with your plan and thinking about what you're doing with the money and uh, how you use that, and this is what Michael does in his practice. Let me introduce another guy here with us, Jason Harrington. Jason is, of course, one of our uh, managing directors at the office. Does a lot of work with a lot of young people in the office, and welcome to the program, Jason.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Jim, thank you, Michael. <clears throat>
2: well, let me let me start, Jason. I, I guess when you when you work with your people. You're seeing some of the same things. What do you see with people getting this tax refund? Are they are they excited about it as Michael saying or do you have people sometimes that feel a little frustrated because they are getting money back?
1: Well, I th- I think those that do get a refund are generally more excited than the other uh, and having to pay money to the IRS—that's kind that's of a, a no-brainer. I can for get sure. that one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, I think Michael's right. It goes it goes two ways. I think people have been programmed for such a long time to see this refund as a bonus, as something that you know will kickstart them off the year, or to pay off Christmas, or to you know prepare for a vacation that's coming up, and they've already earmarked these dollars. Uh, I, you know, it, for those who are who are getting the large refunds, you know, over. Four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. Those are the ones that are like, "What? What could I be doing with this? These dollars on a monthly basis?" Of Adam, some some don't even know that they can make some minor adjustments to the to the way they're withholding taxes throughout the year to get that money. Uh, they did. They just set it up when they got to work, and they didn't even know uh, that they could get that money. Well, that's exactly year. right.
2: So, I guess you know. Let's let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I guess uh, Michael, I want to. I don't want people to listen listening to the program to think okay i I filed my tax return i, I had someone to do it, or I did it myself, or mm-hmm. did it on, you know with h and r block or with a you know some tax service or whatever right doesn't make any difference. The reality is, is it a bad thing to get a refund back is it should we look at that as uh, as kind of almost what Jason said. Should we say to our people today that are listening, don't ever 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 get a tax refund back
4: it actually depends. I mean there, obviously there's two sides to the coin. It's one is that refund is not a gift from the government, it's return of your money, like you said earlier. You gave the IRS a free interest loan on your money for that prior year. But on the other hand, it's also a great opportunity for people because realistically some people find it nearly impossible to save money. And this part of the year when they do get a refund, like three or four thousand dollars they find great opportunities to do things with it that they could have done in the past.
2: Uh, so I guess uh it is a it is a forced saving is what you're saying.
4: Yes, exactly. But I think realistically It's not necessarily a bad thing. You just got to be able to take advantage of what you are dealt with.
2: Okay. So, what's the average refund um, in America today? America today. What's the for for a person filing a a joint return? What would be the average?
4: As of the year 2015, it's about three thousand one hundred and twenty dollars.
2: So, two hundred and sixty dollars a month.
4: Yes, and that's a significant amount of money over. You know, a month-to-month basis because you could get a lot done with that. Yeah,
2: you know, and I guess what I'm thinking, if I'm going to give someone $260 a month, I want to benefit for that. Absolutely. If I'm going to say I'm saving money, $260 a month, I can say, okay, I'm going to get a little over $3,000, but I do want interest on that.
4: Yeah. So, and you could even do that in a savings account at the bank. I mean, it's not much more over 0%, but at least it's earning something. All
2: right. I want to clearly define what we're talking about here. If you're going to use it as a savings vehicle, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to allow the government to have my money, which <coughs> we say is a bad thing, then you have to have a strategy for what you're going to do when you get the 3000 On average, it's on average mm-hmm. $3,000. Now, I hope everybody's listening. You may only have gotten $300 back. You may also have gotten as much as $5,000 back. Now, that gets into some money when you get yeah, anything sure above a dollar, in my opinion, is getting into money. Mm-hmm. So I want you to give us some things, Michael, that you would say to your. you're your in the office, you're, you're talking with someone, you've got a couple, and they're going to get $3,000 back. That's the average. Right. All right. Talk to me about what are some of the things you're going to share with them that they need to think about what to do with that quote-unquote, savings plan they Uh had using the United States government. Well,
4: one of the big things I see a lot of people do, especially with the things that we do today, is credit cards. Mm -hmm. A lot of credit card debt I see a lot through young people, middle-aged people, old people. It doesn't matter, but one thing I like to see people take advantage of is paying down debt, Sure. whether it is a student loan, a credit card, a mortgage Knocking down a high interest rate credit card could mean a tremendous amount over a long period of time. So paying down debt's one. Another one I see is rebuilding an emergency fund. Uh, this time of year, people are graduating, moving, spending a lot of money, doing a lot of different things, and it could deplete your savings fund. So getting that money back, whether it is 500 bucks or 5000 bucks, it's still going to be able to replenish what you've been spending and Usually we need a good nest egg for emergencies like saving up for uh, – well, actually, we don't save up for a broken down car, but if that happens, we're, we're prepared for it. Okay,
2: let me ask you a question because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on the savings using this, this refund, tax refund. I, don't, I guess I want to be sure I don't do this. I am not going to call it a savings account. It is not a savings account. Mm -hmm. It is not allowing your money to go to work for you. The Uncle Sam is not putting it to work. They're just being there. The law says they've got to, if you overpaid, it is an overpayment. So let's just just call it what it is. It's an overpayment of taxes that you didn't have to pay, and Uncle Sam is required, forced to refund that money to you. So you get it in a one check. Now, what you're going to do with it, and I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about this paying off debt. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the two hundred and fifty to two hundred and sixty dollars a month. That if you use that money per month, could you have avoided credit card debt? Absolutely. And so now, what's the average credit card interest rate if you're not paying off, you know, the the card every month? Oh, it,
4: you can see could say fifteen, fifteen. am actually seeing them
2: at eighteen.
1: Yeah, twenty-one. Yeah. I saw and one
2: so one. now, again, put our thinking hats on, guys. Sure. I'm not going to pay off my credit card debt. I'm I'm letting Uncle Sam have that $260 a month. They've charged me 8% on my balance, 18%, 15%, 12%, whatever. Right. They've charged you that amount of money for the entire year, and that's an additional cost to you.
1: Yeah, it adds up. You paid... You paid 18% so that someone could use your money for free. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah uh, come on, guys. That's a no-brainer. So let's be sure that what we're saying to the listeners is that we don't believe that having – A tax return of funds from you as a result of you overpaying your tax is a wise financial strategy. Now, we can talk about it. And, and, you know, Michael, you were saying pay down debt, you know, rebuild your emergency fund. And I am 100 percent for that if they've allowed that. Yeah, those are critical things. Even maybe start a college education fund. Mm -hmm. But all those things that we would think if if they were in your office that they should be doing, the reality is they could have been doing that all year long with that $260 a month.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: So so let's make sure that we kind of get that across, that this money is uh, uh, money that is available to you to use during the year and should not be considered, quote, unquote, a savings account.
1: Yeah, so I got that. Uh, you know, if, if you get uh, I would prefer to get that money on a monthly basis rather than I'm, I'm going to give up this strategy of get- – the end of the end of the year, so how do I how do I get that? How, if you're going to sit with your clients and tell them, uh, you know, how to make those adjustments, how do they start getting their money on a monthly basis rather than loaning that money free to the government?
4: Well, there's a few people you can sit down with. One is your tax advisor, tax professional that you deal with on a year-to-year basis, or also just going to your employer and filling out a new W-4 form. Okay, and that is where you pick out the, the exemptions that you're claiming being able to figure out what exactly they're going to withhold for you. That way it's more efficient and better for you later on. Because if you're not holding enough or if you're holding too much, obviously you see where the result goes. So sure. getting, getting your W-4 in line with your HR, your employer, that's a big important part that I see. But so, you,
1: for the people that are listening out there, they need to know that they can make those adjustments. They just go to their HR department and ask to – you know, change the the change exemptions. The
2: exemptions. And here's the question, though, Jason, and a lot of people ask. And what I want to do, we come back, we're going to take a break. A lot of people think, well, I'm married and I have two kids. Yeah. So I have my spouse and two kids. I have three exemptions. OK, yeah. that's all, all right. I'm allowed to do. I can look at those three smiley faces mm-hmm. every morning and count their noses and say, that's what I have to put on my tax return. When we come back, we've got to break that myth.
1: Yes. Good. <laughs> Stay with us.
2: We've got a lot more going on today. You're talking with Jim Shoemaker. I have Michael Powell and Jason Harrington. We're talking about what do you do with your tax refund? And uh, we're not calling it a savings account. We're not talking about for savings. It's a tax refund. You paid it, and you should get it back. And now what are we going to do with it? How are we going to avoid it? And what do you do with exemptions? Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Talk money. We'll return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, before we took the break, uh, Jason asked a great question, and uh, Michael was about to get into it with us, but we want to kind of restage it for you, kind of help you understand where we are. Now, we're talking about... You're filing your taxes, whether you file it, whether you have a professional file it, whether you use TurboTax or whatever you do, it doesn't make any difference. But you've gotten that tax refund. And Michael was talking earlier about some of the things you use for the tax review. Maybe it's an emergency fund. Maybe it's pay down debt. We've kind of shared with you that we do not look at it as a savings account, and we don't want you to look at it as a savings account, and we'd like to share with you some ways to avoid, and that makes it kind of sound ironically, but I mean, the kind of ironic thing is that avoid getting a refund, but the reality is... Uh, Michael, you mentioned earlier, and I want to make sure everybody gets this, There was a, the average refund is a little over $3,000 a year. And in my simple mind, I calculate that. That's $250 to $260 a month. Yes. I can use $250 to $260 a month wiser than apparently the government's using at this stage. And so we're encouraging people to refile, rethink their exemptions. Now, what we said before the break is most people count noses, Wife, two kids, three kids, one, two, three. That's my exemptions. That's what I can do. I can't do anything else. I can remember the first time I shared this with someone and they were like a deer in headlights. You mean to tell me I can actually count more people as exemptions than absolute than what I'm doing. And, and and a kiss, that's what we want to talk about. So, Michael, I want you to help the standard exemption. Most people use it with their single taxpayers or whatever, but talk us through what someone can do or should do if they are getting a tax refund when it comes to their exemptions.
4: Absolutely. It's really easy to adjust your withholding because, all in all, you are the one controlling what allowances you claim on your W-4 with your employer. So realistically, you could do it on paper or electronically. Obviously, the old-school way is to go go grab a fresh W-4 form, walk through the worksheets, and for more complicated tax situations, you could use instructions that's provided for you on IR- IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. They actually have something available. It's called the IRS Tax Withholding Webpage. Okay, but you go to website. irs.gov
2: and yes, click sir. on the withholding page. Yeah. Yes, you okay. can.
4: And an even easier way I've seen is TurboTax actually has a pretty good tool. It's called the W4 Withholding Calculator. This is a simple tool that makes your allowances easy, it goes through a questionnaire. You'd be able to, you know, ask your situation. That way it gives you a better idea of how you should be picking your allowances. Well, yeah,
2: you know, if you go in and it says, you know, what was your allowance? What did you get as a refund last year? And you say the average was, of course, again, for America, the average, I got $3,000 back. It's going to ask you that. And Mm -hmm. what would you like to get back? And you should put 0 you know, Zilch. I want no money <laughs> back. A... I want to just pay what I need to pay. And I don't know where we're headed with this, but go ahead, what are some other ways you might do this?
4: Another way to increase your withholdings is to put the actual amount you want deducted on line six, that's on your W four, it's called additional withholdings. And that's that's something you can do pretty easily. And just depending on how your experience has been going, you can really determine that.
2: All right. Let's talk about that. Jason, you were, you were, you're thinking with this now. I know yeah. I can see your head. You know, this Vistos TV, we do a close-up <laughs> right now. <laughs> Point <laughs> of God. view. Yeah, right. Light bulb. But, because here's the thought. Uh, I've, I've been getting a $3,000 return every year for the last three years. So I don't want to do that anymore. So what Michael just said is he could go in and say, I, I want to whatever it takes to eliminate that. I can put that number in, mm, okay. And that's important for us to do that. How do you see that fitting your generation of people who have kids now preparing for college?
1: I, I see that as w- whenever we have a tax refund, one of the first places we go is you know these guys want to set aside funds for college, and and I talk them through. Let's look at your withholdings. Let's increase this number, or let's go in and set on this line six here and a specific number, $400 a month. And now we have repositioned dollars away from a free loan and allocated them or earmarked them towards a college allocation. Or
2: something that's now more of a benefit to the client. Absolutely. All right. I want to make sure, because I don't want anyone to miss this, that we're not giving you tax advice today. This is not what the purpose of the program we're just telling you that a tax refund is not a good financial strategy. So, Michael, I want to make sure that what we do is we get this right amount that needs to be withheld. I don't want anybody listening to the program to be Confused? Because, again, the reality is, I'm going to tell anybody, if you don't know, call Michael, 757-5757, Jason, same number, or talk to your tax professional. But don't do nothing. Inaction is absolutely a terrible strategy. So if you've been getting a tax refund or if you're expecting to get one this year, that's not a good financial strategy. So we're saying, how do you do that? But, Michael, I want you to make sure that everybody knows they can get this right amount to be withheld. So walk us through some more of the thoughts. Uh,
4: in most situations, people can figure out there's a couple rule of thumbs there. You can ac- accurately complete it yourself. You can have somebody look into it. Uh, give your employer a fresh one when changes occur. And usually there's a lot of changes that happen throughout the year. So when people go to work and start that job, they'll put in that W-4, do all the things they're currently doing, and then just leave it there. And then they've had a new
1: baby. Ten years later,
4: there's a bunch of big changes. You got married, kids, a lot of different things happen. So realistically, when you have a big change come up, and it's wedding season, most people get married around this time of year. If you do get married, go back and fill out a fresh W-4. If you do have a child, go back and fill it out because those are things you need to take advantage of Because you're going to get that big check.
2: Absolutely. One of the thoughts also for a lot of people is they, you know, they've been single. Now they get married and you've got two single people that were filing one particular tax return. Now they're married, filing jointly, Mm -hmm. and they definitely should examine their exemptions and look at that from that standpoint. Or if you have that person that's working multiple jobs. You know, he's got a, uh, you know, the job that he works during the day, then he works the night or something, does a second job. Those are cases where he can do a much better job of looking and filing that tax return just by going in and changing the W-4 uh, for his exemptions. If he's got those multiple jobs or they've gotten married. Right. Those are very, very important. Uh, you've got a non-wage income. Those yes. are some that you need to look at, too. So I guess I, guess I want to kind of close here. You really want to make sure somebody's doing it right. There is a form. Yes. What's the form?
4: The form you can get. It's on IRS.gov. It's called Publication nine one nine nine nineteen. 919. It's How Do I Adjust My Tax Withholding? And that's going to be able to help you compare the total tax withheld during the year and with what you could expect to file figure out on your return. And those are things like rental income, uh, unemployment compensation, alimony. The list goes on and on. But like you said earlier, multiple jobs, people do side jobs, and they usually don't get taxes withheld on that, or they do too much. But you got to think about all the different things that you're doing and able to get that publication right.
2: Well, I think what we're saying is that you, if you're getting a tax refund, don't count that as a savings account. No. And we want to tell you that from a financial strategy, you should you should literally be able to if you get any money back, it should be less than a hundred. Maybe you'll have to pay a hundred. That's not a big penalty, so you have to of course you need to save for it, but the reality is you want it to be as tight as possible. Don't loan the money to the government. They're not gonna do it use it the best way for you. You need to be using it. And again, we gave you a statistic. Three thousand is the average amount of refunds that are returned every year. That's two hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred and sixty dollars a month. You can use, as Jason said, that can be again the beginning of a college education fund. Maybe it's additional insurance that you may need. Maybe it's the beginning of a retirement, additional retirement money that you could put aside. Anything that you could do with that money, best to be used for you and not for the government. Don't count it as a savings account. That's what we want to make sure of. Michael, great job today. Stay with us, though, because when we come Thanks, back, Jeff. I've got Jason Harrington. He's going to talk about, literally, Jason, and you're going to kind of give me some insight into how to work with an advisor. That's right. I'm going to be the client. Okay. okay? Yes. And, uh, so I'm going to kind of charge you with some questions, and I want you to give me some insights about how I should work with you, because to me, a good relationship with my advisor makes a good financial plan. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Talk money. We'll return right after this.
3: Support for the abolitionist cause in Tennessee highlighted just how divided the state was over slavery during the antebellum era. Most of the northern states had outlawed slavery decades before the Civil War. However, it was legal for southern slave catchers to pursue escaped slaves into the north and a federal offense for northern residents to help escaped slaves avoid recapture. Most of what we know today about the Underground Railroad comes down to us from oral tradition, as every effort was made to avoid any written record of these activities. In East Tennessee, where there were few large families, only 1 in 12 persons was a slave. But in West Tennessee almost four out of every five persons were slaves. Though the first anti-slavery publication in the U.S., The Emancipator, was printed in Washington County, Tennessee, the two suspected underground railroad sites in Tennessee, the Burkle and the hunt Phelan Estates, are in Memphis. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: All right, we are talking with Michael Powell and Jason Harrington. And Jason is going to, in this second half of the program, we're talking about understanding how to work with an advisor. And I really kind of wanted Jason to kind of, I'm going to play the advisor, Jason. I mean, excuse me, the client. You're going to be the advisor. So I'm walking into the office and kind of don't really know, a little nervous, got a little money, needs to do some strategy planning and thinking how I'm going to I'm about to sit down with you. So, first of all, what should be my expectations? How do I go
1: to work with an advisor? Well, Jim, I think I think first and foremost, when you walk into an office of your financial advisor, you should feel comfortable. You should feel that from the interaction at the front desk all the way to how you're approached by your advisor in a one-on-one setting that you should feel comfortable, you should feel relaxed. A a conversation with your financial advisor shouldn't be something you dread. Uh, It should be fun. One of the great privileges I have on on a daily basis is to watch our advisors interact with their clients and they're laughing and they're having a good time interacting with their with their clients. And this should be someone, if, if you're going to be a client of mine, Jim, I want you and I to become friends. I want you to be a part of my life, and I want to be a part of your life, not just in the office, but also outside of the office. So it's a relationship. Absolutely. It's a relationship. That's, that's number one. Okay. Number right. one.
2: I, I get that. So this
1: is not like going to the dentist. No, it, I hope Ooh. not. No, you, no <laughs> drills, uh, no numbing medication needed. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right, yeah. so I because I dread going to the yes, dentist. Yes, me too, know, okay. me too. All
2: right, so now I have a great dentist, by the way, and
1: he's probably listening, and you just got an appointment so set. I got an
2: appointment. <laughs> I think a crown <laughs> is coming your my way. My next dental appointment will not be my best <laughs> yes. lesson. All right, so so it should be a good relationship. You talked about a friendship. You so uh, I'm going to put in
1: the word there, I should trust you. You should trust. I, trust is uh, a very key component because your advisor is going to serve as uh, an unbiased third-party observer of what's going on in your life, you and your spouse and your family, and, and they're going to be giving advice. And so it's it's very important that you trust enough to listen to your advisor to listen to the things that they 're saying, to take the advice i mean you're you're placing your financial future in their hands, and we as advisors we take that uh, very seriously i mean that's a that's a huge responsibility that we uh, we welcome but it's 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 hard, and so you need to trust uh, your advisor so that when they say the things that they say that you're willing to accept that advice and move forward uh, and move to some proactive uh, positive momentum toward the goals that you have.
2: All right, let's let's talk about that because I I think that's critical. I, I've I've worked with a, an advisor, okay, so I'm working with this advisor, and I just feel frustrated. I sure. mean, the market's frustrating. Sure. I mean, we know about that. We we listened to a while ago to the market update, and it's you know the market starting out, and is the market's been anything but good. I know that. I'm a I'm a I'm a savvy client, okay. But I'm, I'm tired of hearing the same thing from my advisor. So give me some insight on how do I respond? What, what are the things that I need to be thinking about? I'm the client now, remember. So help me understand if, if I'm not satisfied, Sure. how do I tell you?
1: Yeah. More often than not, advisors welcome that type of feedback from their, from their client. I mean, they they, we want to hear that if you are have some emotional uh, uncertainty or some, uh, you know, you're you're just anxious. That's a normal, real emotion that we sympathize with. And to be honest with you, Jim, we empathize with it, too, because our financial plan is working just like yours. And so we want you to hear from you if, if if you're uncertain or afraid, that's okay. Let's talk about that, and let's understand that, and let's work through that together. I send you an email. I send
2: you a – I mean, I um, I call you. Am I expecting a call back within
1: that 30 day. minutes? Uh, not day? 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> not What's in reasonable? my calendar. What's you reasonable? Know, I think it's reasonable for you to expect a return email or a call back by the end of the day. Uh, and by the end of the day, maybe something that is just – based on your practice and how you and my practice and how I communicate with my clients, end of the day maybe six o'clock, end of the day maybe five o'clock. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's important when our clients become uh, clients of ours that we uh, talk them through what that service expectation is. Because to be honest with you, some advisors need to talk I mean some clients need to talk more frequently, more frequently. But, you know than others. But you know, we try to set that standard up front of what do you need as a client? How quickly do you need me to respond? And and ways where, if it's an emergency, <coughs> that that response time can be quicker.
2: What are some events that might occur that might cause me to want to talk to you more often? Or or maybe it's a triggering event sure. that says, hey, i got to talk to Jason. I, I need to get some information from you.
1: Hopefully anything in your life as a client, Jim, that you feel is... Uh, an impactful financial decision or an impactful financial event is something that you feel comfortable in or are wanting to talk to me. Give me about. an example. An example would be uh, you're, you and Linda are going to buy a new home. Uh, and you're about to buy a new house and you're trying to okay, decide,
2: just cut this out. Okay. My to, bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's go to something. else. Let's pick another client, another example. <laughs> yeah. We're
2: just playing here. Okay. Right. right. Just, this, this is, is role just, play. This right. is role play. Yeah. Cause uh, but, I, boy, she's listening. Oh,
1: she didn't yes, know. huh? Yes. Okay. Congratulations on the new home. <laughs> right. Uh, but if you're going to buy a new home or, you know what, if you have a child on the way. Mm. Uh, that's another that's big... another one. That, that would be a grandchild <laughs> okay. yeah, if you have a grandchild. Um, so uh, if you have a grandchild or a child on the way, I mean, these are things that we need to talk about. It doesn't necessarily mean that your financial plan needs wholesale change. Right. It just may mean that we need to look at how things are working, check how cash flow may change with some of these decisions. When you have a child or a grandchild, that may change your whole goal perspective. Uh, you know, uh, people, once they have a child, the things that were important to them as a couple become different because now they have someone else to think about and their plans may change.
2: Well, if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Jason Harrington, and we're talking about, I guess, how do you work with an advisor? Now, we're doing some role playing and just trying to help you understand a little bit better of the relationship that the client and the advisor has. I'm playing the client And I'm asking some questions to Jason, and Jason's giving some great feedback on how does the two work together. When we come back, I want to kind of dive in, Jason, to some core values. That an advisor needs to deliver. And Michael, I want you to help us with this, kind of go through some core things. We're going to talk about organization, objectivity, education, partnership. Partnership's a biggie. And I want to dive into that so that we can kind of help our listeners know what are the expectations. You mentioned it. What are expectations between the client? and the advisor, and how do we meet those? Stay with us. When we come back, Jason Harrington, Michael Powell. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990.
0: Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Welcome back. I've got a thought for you. Just uh, only 16% of college graduates who were born into families at the bottom 20% of wage earners remain in that bottom 20% of wage earners during their adult lives. This is from Brookings Institute. Now, I I I think that, and I read that because I want you to think with this. Most of the time you get education involved, you get job selection involved, and at some point in time, what we see as we work with clients, People move through this process in their life where all of a sudden they're making they're making decisions that no one else in their family has ever had to make. I can remember that in my own life. My dad was an accountant and a uh, very, very uh, astute and, and very intelligent young man, uh, uh, older man in my life. <laughs> but But the reality is I look at what the decisions I've made are different than the ones that he was making. So what we're saying is at some point in time in your life, You may have to decide to find someone that can give you financial advice. How do you do that? How do you work with that person? How do you decide if that's the right person? How do you make a change if it's not the right person? All my guests are Michael Powell and Jason Harrington, and that's the subject, evaluating performance, knowing what to expect. And before the break, that's what I said we were going to talk about. We've all, we're going to run out of time before I get all the parts of this discussion that I want to. We'll have to have you guys back um, to talk more about this. But Jason, help me with this, the core thought process, the core values of what an advisor brings to the table Of that group of people that finally wake up one morning and said, I cannot make a decision about buying the house, college education funds, the amount of insurance I've got to have. What do I do here? What do I do here? What do I do here? They've got to say, okay, I've got to find somebody to work with. They're looking for it. What should they look? What are the expectations? What are the core values?
1: Well, I think one of the first core values is just, just what you said. Many clients that we deal with have, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. They have stuff everywhere. They've been doing life and getting organized. Uh, getting all of your financial documents, your numbers in one organized place. Uh, that is one of the key components. At the end of this destination with your advisor is peace of mind. And the beginning of that peace of mind is going to be organization. And, you know, we we help some married Clients of ours have conversations about this organizational pattern that they've never had before right, you know They're going to soccer games, you know making sure grades life are Life is up. tough. You know, life is happening And so they don't talk about this on when they get done with work and life. They're talking about You know, wh- how the kids doing, and how are you doing? And
2: I so. can remember earlier on in, in my marriage with Miss Linda. We were Looking at doing it once a year, we would get away and go up to actually Cape Girardeau, Missouri, to Holiday Inn up there that had a holodome. And we'd there sit around go. the pool, the kids would swim in the, you know, this was January, and we spent time. And all sure. we did was talk money because it's hard and all the other stuff going on to have a concentrated time. What we found is we would take that premise and move it to our clients, helping them have that Correct. tough conversation organizationally How do you put it all together? And that's what we do with our practice is we help people organize. That's what you're talking about. What's number
1: two? Uh, Number two would be that accountability piece. I mean, Talking about money is hard it 's probably one of the last you know taboos. Su- yeah I the you last it is in my house. absolutely it 's the last uh taboo subject out there in the in the world and so when you start to talk about money, you start to peel back some nerve you know some sensitivities and some nerves <laughs> nerve are there. Endings. Yeah, yeah some nerve endings, and so we as an advisor, we can serve as that you know, that non-biased look and then hold our clients to the level of accountability they want to. Sometimes we have to hold their hand. Sometimes we have to encourage. Sometimes we have to strongly and sometimes encourage. sometimes we have to have a tough conversation. Sometimes you have to have tough conversations.
2: Michael, we t- he said it, you know, he was kind of talking about that idea of accountability mm-hmm. and also the third party, the objectivity. With you work with your clients, how does that objectivity work?
4: Well, realistically, we play the role of Sometimes being devil's advocate. Yeah. I tell you what you need to hear, but sometimes you don't want to hear it. And that's the same thing with anything you do. You go to the doctor, they say, Hey, you need to start eating better. I know that. (laughs) But realistically They've never told me that. If I tell you if I tell you something you need to do it's 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 because I care about it, and it's because I I know that you need to be educated on it.
2: You know that that is so critical because I think sometimes here I am I'm going to be the client again, Jason. Okay. And I'm saying, you really are you
1: really objective with this? Aren't you trying to sell me something? You know what? That's that's fair. That's a fair concern that a, that a client should have. But you know, part of what a good advisor would do, is that, that I'm looking beyond just what we're talking about today. And and yes, I am trying to look at your total picture. I am trying to look at you totally objectively. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about how to select some of your advisors, and you should pick one that doesn't have to you know, be stuck in any one zone. So, yeah, we're looking at this objectively.
2: Well, obviously, guys, we're going to have you back because this is jam-packed with a lot of good stuff. So just, uh, we'll put this back together and do it again. I want to remind some people we have a couple of things going on at the office. Exceptional plans for extraordinary people. That's May the 12th. Call the office to find out more about that. And also preparing for retirement, an exclusivity of the FedEx employees, exclusively for FedEx employees. That's May the 19th. Call the office more about that. That's um, Landon Mills and Frank Allen. Well, it has been a jam pack. We have covered a lot of information today. And what I want you to understand is there is just no way possible that we can get all this together. So if you've got questions for these guys, call them. It's, you know, it's simply 757-5757. Ask for Jason Harrington. Ask for Michael Powell. It is a conversation that is worth having. We talked about organization, accountability, objectivity. We only covered three of the six core values there's more to it. You will want to find out more about it. Well, it has been a good day, guys. Thanks so much for being with Absolutely. me this morning. Thanks for having it. me. We enjoyed it. We'll do this again. And, again, I want you to be with us next time because, again, it's always fun to have you participating with us, listening. I want to say thank you to Michael and Jason, producer and board operator Art Frederick, guest in content coordination Francis Fortner, production assistant Eleanor Moscovich, Mid-South History Moment Rebecca Brazier, that she reads it, and, of course, True Johnson writes it. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday on Talk Money, helping you make the most of your money.
0: Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA, SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. CBS News at the top of every hour and the most local talk in the Mid-South. This is AM 990, KWAM Memphis.